Hey, this is Nick from Movie Theater Time Machine. Um, we just want to issue a pre-apology for this because this particular episode, um, the audio levels are really all over the place. As you know, if you've been listening to the show, as long as you may have or within the last month or so, we have been uh, doing well with the quarantine and recording separately. Unfortunately, some of the audio is just unrepairable, um, and our equipment just isn't quite right. So what we really do suggest, listeners, is that if you skim through this episode, um, you might need to adjust your volume at some places. Uh, However, just do the best you can. We're working really hard on it on our end to try to actually fix this problem before we do another episode next weekend. Um, but we really, really sincerely apologize because this one, it was just a... It's been really hard. We've been working, as and I have been working on it all day to try to just get the volumes right, but... There's only so much we can do. Um, I hope to bring you a new one. But since we are here, you can go on patron.podbean.com slash machine. Any donations you can help with would certainly be appreciated. If we are your favorite podcast, we certainly do appreciate it. A few things just to uh, help with the equipment, and hopefully we can do a little better uh, next time. Again, we apologize for the inconvenience, and... Enjoy the show as much as you can. Welcome, welcome, friends, to Movie Theater Time Machine. I am your narrator, Bob, and everyone of us here at uh, MTTM. Sincerely hope you are doing well wherever you are listening. Today we'll be discussing the 1984 titillating fantasy classic, Never Ending Story. Uh, watch the film, friends, it'll make sense. Uh, with that, I'll turn it over to our heroic panel for introductions. Hi, Nick. Hi, Kiz. I'm Dan. I'm Joss. And of course, Bob was talking before, so that we we have all five of us here. Well, virtually here. And uh, you said it was titillating. You're talking about them statues, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> And they're just staring at the uh, uh, no. at at the uh, figurehead. It's for his for his research notes. And oddly enough, too, as we were uh, preparing for the show, I started reading up on one of these, uh, I don't know, some of these sites, people like uh, tidbits on the film, and they were saying uh, the uh, author, who I'm going to get into in a few minutes, uh, was very disappointed to see that showing up in this film. I guess that wasn't his anticipation to be seeing uh, that type of cleavage uh, in this film. Uh, I, I didn't read the book, I really can't speak too much to it, but I definitely uh, did take some notes, and I look forward to uh, delving deeper into the film. Uh, so let's start. Uh, the cast of this film, we have Barrett Oliver, who is Bastion Bucks. We have Noah Hathaway as a traitor. We have Tammy Sherlock, 
and is a childlike empress. Uh, also known as Also known as Moonchild. Don't get me started. Oh, we'll get into it. First of all, let's, let's get the right away. Uh, the name is yelling, okay? <laughs> Thank you. There is a name. There is a name. There is so a name. There is a name. It's just yelling, I know. Okay, this movie, this movie is, is like, actually super important to me because it was something that I would watch with my mom constantly. And for many years, we had a VHS copy and a crappy TV, so we could never quite make out what Bastion's yelling oh, at the God. end. And then one one year, we got a TV that had this amazing new technology, closed captioning. So we put on the closed captioning, and all it said was yelling. It's like, oh. Okay, now... This movie was also very, very important to me growing up, mm-hmm. and I was that obsessive kid who had to know things, so I watched that movie, I can't even tell you how many times as a child, but I watched that last two minutes right there probably a thousand times, just so I could read his lips to re- and really listen closely to what he's saying. And I know he's saying, Moonchild, because I researched the fucker. <laughs> I I borrowed the I book from the, the library. I put in the time. <laughs> I borrowed the book from the library, which, by the way, is much longer than the movie. Yeah, yeah, it is. I have the book somewhere in this house. Is it in the other room? Uh, Poten- possibly. possibly yes. Yeah. Yeah. Carrying home with the cast, of course, we have Patricia Hayes and Fergal, who is uh, NG. Ingwook. Uh, Ingwook. Yep. Ingwook. Yeah, the 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 dad. Where else? Oh, yeah. Bastion's dad. Um, if relatively recently, if anybody watches the TV show This Is Us, um, he is the doctor. I was um, saying, did he set fire to a house with no, a No, he's the one who delivered the children. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and then um, he was also in, uh, weirdly enough, because Nick and I were talking about this earlier, uh, on Netflix there's a uh, little, like, anthology series from Darley Parton called um, yeah. Darley Parton's Heartstrings, and he's actually a main character in one of those little uh, stories. So, as relatively recently, that's how I know him. I know him older, so when I saw this movie again a couple days ago, I was like, I know him. Why do I know him? I'm just waiting for the Heartstrings episode that's just 20 minutes of Dolly Parton beating Jolene's ass. (laughs) Jolene's the first one in that series, so I'm not... I'm I'm not going any further. All right. (laughs) He was the man with the racing snail, yep. Um, you know where he's from, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, he's also, um, if anybody ever watched How I Met Your Mother, um, he plays the uh, Barney's driver. No, no shit. shit. Yeah. 
So yeah, like this movie, there's no, there's no really huge names no. from from the '80s in this one. No, it's very much almost like a one shot cast. Yeah, which I think yeah. I think works in its favor because mm-hmm. it's not like you're you're not like expecting a particular catchphrase from someone mm-hmm. or like uh, you know. I mean, the most notable of that would have been Barrett Oliver and Bastion. Yep. Also in the crew, and Arrow, and there was other relevant films. I'm not sure beyond that. Not much. Not a whole lot. He's done a few things recently. Same thing with Tammy Stronach. Like, she did this movie, and then she did something in 2008, and then she did something, like, last year. So, like, she's, she's, a, she's acting adjacent, kind of. <laughs> Pretty much just like, like the cast of Good Burger. Yeah. Very few are doing more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Relatively. Yeah. Relative. Yeah. Relative. Yeah. Yeah. Relative. Yeah. 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 Right. The other one is, I've seen my Nickelodeon, and they brought back all that, the newer format, the new back. Right. Yeah, because, you know, Abe Vigoda's dead. And nobody knows what happened to Sinbad. I told you, he's trapped in the 90s. It was part of his genie's wish. Like, he could not leave that decade. He is trapped in the 90s forever. All right, I'll buy that. Yeah. Uh, I did a little research on Barrett Oliver. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out that that kid is now 46 years old. I know. God. And well, Mick, you and I had a discussion earlier today about age, so... Yeah, is this, is this that Homer <laughs> thing you're trying to make the rest of us feel it? Like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Our two is 44. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a thing. The other little character, or the sorry, and he is mostly uncredited. It was the narrator that kind of came out of nowhere at the end. Well, that's the that's what I meant about I. I, I said this earlier in our chat. Um, this movie became very meta to me. <laughs> really meta. As yeah. as watching it from a child's point of view, and then I haven't really watched it. And I want to say a long time. I want to say probably ten years or so since the last time I saw it. So it's been a few years for me. Watching it again and then watching it as an adult. Um, there's a couple of moments. It's a lot. It's yeah. There's a couple of moments in there that make me go. Oh, I get what they're trying to do with this. Yeah, there's a couple moments where the characters are basically staring at you yeah. as the watcher of the film. Like, huh? You see? I never caught that as a kid, though. <laughs> I never caught it. I never caught on to the fact that they were actually talking to the people who were watching the movie. Yep. When she's telling... Oh, yeah, when yeah, 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 at the end. I never caught that. So, to me, sitting here... The other day, watching it made me go, "Oh wow, okay." I never, I never caught on to this, so th- that was a big like goosebump moment for me. Yeah. I have one memory of this, 
And it was when we were in the fourth grade, and we were all brought into this one room, and a TV was wheeled into the room that it showed my age. Yep. We were going one of the younger one on the panel. When, when that, let's see, when that cart rolled into the room, you're like, yeah, I don't got to learn nothing today. You knew you were having a good day. Yeah. <laughs> and we watched this movie, what I think was like a half hour at a time, but it seemed like it was much longer than. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to stay focused as a kid for like an hour and a half feels like an eternity. Yeah. Right? And. We watch this, and we're all like, yeah, okay, you know, like, and then it's, you know, the famous scene with Bastion on the back of Alcor, and it's like, yeah! 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 Right. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, the fourth grade area was all separated by, by, uh, cubbies on meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, one, one classroom went to their area, and we went to ours, and the, we hear the one next door, the teacher goes, Hey, we're going to have a quiz on never-ending story. And all the kids groan. And then we all, like, looked at our teacher, and she's like, Look, we just watched an awesome movie. You guys just chill, because we got ten minutes to recess. And I know they have pizza for lunch. <laughs> You're good. It's like, I'm not quizzing you on this movie because you'll come to resent it if I do. That's just mean. Yeah. What teacher did that? That's just terrible. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember that very distinctly. The the square pizza that kind of tastes like cardboard, but it was great. I went to a yeah. richie rich Catholic school. We actually got Domino's. Yeah, you got Domino's and my... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Catholic yeah. school that I went to wasn't quite as richie rich but every now and then we would get KFC nuggets. Oh, I, we'd get KFC... The way The way my school worked, it was like you every day was a different day. Like, they'd have hot lunch, like, two days a week or three days a week, and then the other days were either Subway, KFC, or Domino's. Damn. I I went to a Richie Rich school. I was the poor kid in the Richie Rich school. My grandfather worked in the kitchen. I went for free. <laughs> well, that's what we had in our school, too. <laughs> like, I remember the, the, the lunch, lunch menu. Actually, give me a moment to recollect my memory. It was Monday with TFC and Dan, please challenge me if I'm incorrect. Monday with TFC, Tuesday with hot lunch out of our cafeteria, Wednesday, uh, let's see, it was somebody not going to give out. What cafeteria? Uh, our our uh, in what is it uh, in indoor in based inside of our uh, school cafeteria. You mean you mean like the lunch meat on on white bread? Yeah, it was like hot dogs. And I remember they used to, there was something off the bottom, and I don't want to describe the room. And it was so yeah, it was basically made in the microwave because we did not have a kitchen in that school. It was much too small. <laughs> It was very disgusting, not gonna lie. So yep. it was that it was Wednesday, Subway, Thursday yep. was uh pizza provided by I would say what well, provided by local, so you figured out. It was it was Papa G- it was Papa Gino's, I remember. Uh Friday was uh very open ended. I think uh, it was pretty much whatever the hell you want to school day for lunch, so Yeah, so for me, yeah, for me every day was brown bag lunch day. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, every day was brown bag lunch day because my, my parents couldn't spring for the hot lunch more than like a couple of times a month. So whenever it was, I'd be like, do it on Thursday. I want Papa Gino's. See, I, I, yeah, like I said, my grandfather worked in the kitchen. So whenever we had hot lunch, I had hot lunch. And then the rest of the time it was either um, a thermos full of soup. I remember specifically some of the stuff that I used to have. And I remember I had like a Barbie thermos. <laughs> I just remember that stuff. I had I recollections. Had my, I had my Transformers lunchbox. That makes sense. Which that lunchbox is still in use at yep. the campground. My that my uh, my parents have a campsite down in Plymouth, and it's used as the first aid kit down in the down at the campsite. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fun, fun little, fun little tidbit of information. It is the same kind of lunchbox and same kind of design that they used as the prop for Spaceballs, the lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, because the design is just. Hmm. Yeah. Where the real money from the movie is made. <laughs> Speaking of that, there's real money where this podcast is made. You go on our links on our Facebook page, on our Zazzle page, we have t-shirts available with a movie theater time machine logo. I saw. Hot damn. Hot damn. I saw. That's crazy. And uh, by the time that this, yeah, by the time that this episode goes up, uh, we're actually going to have a movie theater time machine fan server up on Discord. Um... I have it up and running. We just need to get it uh, sticky posted on our Facebook wall. But uh, yeah, come on in. Uh, feel free to chat with other fans. Chat with us. We'll be in and out, you know, here and there. Um, and yeah, give us suggestions. Different chat rooms you want. You know, get to know get to know each other. You know, that whole you know the whole community thing. Yeah, it's actually on our Facebook wall right now. Oh, it is cool. So yeah, it is up. I've got the. Yeah, um, Kaz and Joss, when you guys uh, get a chance to uh, join the join the room, I'll make you admins, and we'll be good to go from there. Okay. Wonderful. Cool. It will be on our Instagram soon, too. Soon. I'll just post pictures of Chino. That's cool. Yep. I've, I've you already, want cute dogs? I'll give you cute dogs. I've already made a chat room called Dan Needs Memes, so just <laughs> give, me, give me your best memes. Wonderful. Speaking of all these commercials, commercial should we take a commercial break? Uh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back. Alrighty, so... Hey guys, I'm going to cross. I'm sorry, my audio sounds a little different today. I don't know why, but I just want to make sure I'm okay. Uh, no, you, you sound fine. Yeah, you still sound okay. You're coming in... Oh, soft. You're, you're coming in a little soft, but I upped your volume on my end, so you should be equalized. I I'm not I, I couldn't tell you but like I said I turned your volume up on my end so you should be okay. Well we're we're recording from my end, so I turned your volume up for me, so uh, it should come through just fine on the podcast. Alright. You sound fine. Yeah, you sound okay. Don't worry about it. All right, so do a few seconds so we know a marker. All right. Yay! 
for the past two days uh for those who don't know go check out our facebook our facebook wall uh nick posted a uh, family guy thing and it's it's great it's just like yeah <coughs> if you watch it you'll know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Is there? Oh, nice. I, I did dig a little bit, bit but you actually see Peter, like, in the, the attic area, eating an apple with a blanket over his head. <laughs> Damn. I've never seen that one. It's just funny. You're good, you're good. Yeah, we can hear you. You're good. Anyway, my bad. Sorry. time ago that I read it. I haven't read the book since I was a little kid. Yeah. And I just I just looked up the, the German name for it to see if maybe I could help pronounce it because I've taken a couple of years of German and I'm looking at it and be no. No, I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm gonna mess that one up if I try. Like undes, die unendlich gesicht. You're asking the wrong person. There's a lot of glottal stops and and like harsh uh, and like harsh consonants that I'm not that great with in German. Yeah, yeah, we're we're not not now, now jumping, jumping into the actual, actual film, film summary, 
Uh, we, have we have Bastion, Bastion is a, is a some young, young boy uh, who's grieving the loss of his mother, mother while living, living at home with his father. father. He's tormented by schoolboys on this particular occasion, while evading them, he escapes to a nearby bookshop with Jocelyn instead of Coriander, where the owner reveals his ancient book to him, entitled The Never Ending Story. The owner warns it's a dangerous book of holes. The one reads it. This entices Bastion to swipe the book and leave. A courteous book, and he'll return when finished. Bastion hides himself away in a schooled attic where he reads the book and becomes deeply drawn into Bandasia, a mythical land in desperate need of a hero. We're guided on this journey by a warrior Atreyu on a quest to save Fantasia before too late. Will Atreyu be able to save Fantasia? What is the nothing? And what if at all does Bastion have to do with this story? Let's find out. It's like, the nothing is... Nothing. It's nothing. So if it was something, that would be something, but it's nothing. There's a there's a reason for that actually. It's it's just a it's supposed to be a visual cue for the nothing approaching because the nothing is invisible. It doesn't exist. It's it's not something you can show on film. Like the the clouds are like a harbinger. Yeah, like you see the clouds coming, and then there's nothing behind them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Alright, so let's go through. Thank you, as always. I want to go through the film point by point. I want our listeners to have the opportunity to revisit or watch it for the first time. So I want to start with probably the most pointy part of the film that has a good memory. And again, if you are. Listening and you haven't uh, heard this part of the film, maybe you can tune out for a few minutes because it's something very important to the film. And I want to talk about the life and death of our good friend Artax. Mm. Uh, it's uh, special to a lot of people. I mean, uh, coming from the book, this wasn't something. As uh, pivotal to the story, it was uh, based on what I was uh, checking into Michael and interest in that. It was more pandering, where he just wanted to use it as a point of development for a trade to grow above it. Where in the film, I feel like it's more focused on, uh, it really strikes a very tone, and it carries with uh, many of us who watched the film over the years. So, how do you guys feel uh, about Artax? Like, what is, I mean, if Artax wasn't a uh, character in the film and we just focused on a tree. Would it have made much of a difference to have the horse uh, as part of the story in the film or even in the book itself? Um, from my point of view anyway, I just remember as a child watching this, uh, when Artax died as a kid, I was like unconsolable. Just di just distraught. Like, it, it destroyed like, you know, eight-year-old Joss. She just cried hysterically. As an adult, and watching this movie again, um, I didn't actually feel any connection to him. As I, you know, I understand his connection to Atreyu. And we were both, like, bracing for, I was, for that scene. I was ready. Like, I had tissues yep. and everything. I was ready for it. And then I'm like, he's not really a character. Because as we've grown older and we get little, like, subtle nuances to things. He was a horse. 
He was a horse that was a Treyu's horse. That, he was a Treyu's friend and all that. And but all that, but we had no was... real emotional connection to him, where I think as a child, no, he was a horse, and nobody wants to see a horse die. No, the horse, he dies. No. No, and yeah, so it was actually a, a weird sort of feeling for me. I was expecting to feel one way, and I, I didn't. And there's a part later that really gets to me. It never really made much sense to me as a kid because I just didn't didn't really grasp it. But there's a part later when we get to it, I'll bring it up that as an adult, it's just like I'm fine. I'm no, I'm fine. We're just cutting onions. We're, we're okay. I'm fine. I broke when seeing it. And the look on a horse's face... Oh, that was an unhappy and, horse. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I saw Artex there, and I don't know if it's still there, but if you go onto uh, our Instagram, I put it by facial reaction up there as a story. Oh, really? Artex. Uh, I was not ready. Really? And I just saw it, like, and I just started streaming tears immediately. Okay. It, it could just yeah. be that I've seen the movie so many times that I'm numb to it then. <laughs> well, you know, it's coming. Right. I haven't seen this in probably, like, over 25 years. Okay. So, when I saw, like, oh, no. Like, in the moment, you know it's coming. I'm like, uh-oh. I... And oh, go ahead. The horse had a very, very, very similar look on its face when I had to put my dog down when I was a child. Getcha. Yeah. Anxiety. So I was kind of like, oh no. And I quickly got out of it, but it was like, it was bad. I think you gotta say, you gotta give props to, um, to the kid who played Atreyu because yeah. he came across during that scene with the screaming and the crying and, you know, basically doing everything he can to get this horse to continue going. And I think he portrayed a person who was really freaking out and losing, like, someone they cared about. I think he portrayed that really well. So, oh, yeah. I, get, I give him... The, the swamp didn't just take him. What happened? Ah, like... Too much. It's like too much willpower. I think. Like he he knew he had to. He had a higher purpose. Yeah, the way and, uh, and he was able to fight through it. The way Atreus kind of presented is that he is he's a child, but he's a warrior. Yeah. He's not only strong strong of body, but he's strong of spirit and mind. So while losing his friend, of course, everybody's going to be sad, but he doesn't falter right away. It's not until. Like, he's got a few minutes to actually settle in his brain that he starts to sink. Right. Yeah, because if, Fal if, Fal yeah, if yeah. Falcor hadn't found him, he would have sank, too. Like, he was he was despairing at the end. Mm -hmm. That's true. And thankfully, the Falcor was able to recover him um, at the end because of that. Yeah, luckily. Yeah, <laughs> he, he... I mean, I'm curious, like, how, how he uh, sort of would have gone if... Uh, pretty when it more would have fought so early on in the film, whereas it ended up being a thing at the end of the 
Well, if you if you think about it, when Atreyu first shows up at the palace, nobody knows what he looks like. Yeah, They're nope. expecting a warrior. They're expecting a big guy, you know. Like the royal steward yeah. like, tries to send him away. They, they tries to send him away immediately. They're not expecting a child. They're expecting a man. And so I think that's probably what Gamork's problem was, too, is that he was told to go kill this guy who is supposed to be, like, a warrior who's going to be difficult to kill. And he has no clue that and it's he, a kid. Yeah, he doesn't really have a clue that he's going after a kid. I think that's uh, that's part yeah. of it, is that no one's expecting the person to be going out and actually doing a quest to be, like, a 14-year-old boy. And, and also, it just kind of shows that the nothing is kind of a shitty boss. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any actual details. Just go off and do my bidding. Go and find Atreyu. What's he look like? Just fucking do it. <laughs> I say, the nothing is a terrible boss. He just uh, just says, go out, kill Atreyu. And Gamork's like, all right, what's he look like? I said, fuck off. Go kill him. Find him. Whatever. That's his name. Go. Go, go. Shoo, shoo. No. No. I'm sorry, Gamork is still like the stuff of nightmares for me. Like from from a young age, those eyes and that angry mouth are liter literal nightmare fuel for me. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I think Thriller was after. I just want to point out, you know, shout out to the practical effects in this movie. Yep. They were really well done. There was a few, like, green screen is lovely tonight moments, but <laughs> even those were done well enough that it doesn't just, it's not jarring. You can kind of forgive it for the yeah. 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Thriller was actually released in 1982. Oh, all right. So Thriller was first. My bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was, it was very, very impressive, impressive. Uh, to see the effects. I mean, uh, they really have a lot of, uh, uh, 
blue screen at the time. Those shots you see a train flying like Falcor, a lot of special effects that was shot exclusively in Germany, some Bavarian studios that have that way. And that was around the time of filming one of the hottest summers ever in Germany, so they actually had to stop quite often just to let the technology cool off. And can you imagine some of those costumes, like the the like the rock people who are just giant heads? Like, imagine how hot it would be inside one of those costumes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or the or the elephant man. Yeah. I can't really. Give I'm wondering if Jim Henson had any involvement in it. Um, I don't think so. I didn't, not in anything I saw. Yeah, I didn't see anything come up in any credits or any of the trivia or anything. Like, this was an entirely, like, just different different animatronics and, like, puppet, puppeteering studio, as far as I know. Because when, when I, I saw, saw the rock, rock man, I'm like, eh. And the bat, I'm like, eh. And then when I saw Falcor, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. He probably took some cues from it. Definitely. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in 80, like, 83, 84, like, the Muppet Show was huge. Like, Muppets in general was just, like, mm-hmm. like the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. So, so the, uh, I thought it was one of the five, like, the studio, it was on stage one of the very studios in Munich, Germany. That's where the, uh, the Muppets and the Training, a lot of stuff that does, does not involve fashion in the film. Oh. Oh. Yeah, the film, though. Uh, we were talking about the death of the uh, Atrax. Yeah. Artax. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the only... <laughs> and the only reason... Uh, <laughs> no, no, <wait> <laughs> And the only reason that Atreyu's in the Swamps of Sadness in the first place is to find the Ancient One Morla, who Morla knows of a way to help the Empress. Yeah, to, to help the Empress. And defeat the Nubbin. Oh, uh, because the Empress is sick. Morla was awesome. I love the, the effect of the Morla coming out of the water mm-hmm. on top. Whoever designed uh, that turtle head is uh, incredible because it just works so well. You know, I want to go back and watch it. I really appreciate the effort they put into the character because it was fascinating. I love the situation of the Yeah. And you live with anyone So we started talking to ourselves. Now, Morla basically gave Baby Dan a lesson in nihilism. <laughs> well, it's it's Morla is the most nihilistic character that I think shows up in a lot of children's media anywhere cuz Morla doesn't even care whether or not they care. It's like everything's going to die, why bother? Who cares? Dying is something. I can counterpoint a little bit. Not as deep as, like, that is, but Eeyore. Eeyore is, is nihilistic. Eeyore. Yeah. Um, so I, I would counterpoint that, yeah. Although i got to say, Morla's a bit darker. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. 
Eeyore's that depressed friend that everyone still hangs out with because they know he's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just like the fact that Morla was a was allergic to to young people. <laughs> allergic to youth. <laughs> It's like, I'm tired of sneezing. Go away. And they just go straight off wall-eyed, just like straight up chameleon looking opposite directions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, man, I love that. That was great. Now, now let's go back, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Bastion. Now, Bastion is uh, a very uh, it's a fascinating part of the film, because the book itself it, it itself is guided on the fact that it's a book. The words are already on page, so the, the storyline is already developed for these characters. It's fascinating how um, when we're introduced to Bastion, we see that uh, his mother passed away either recently or some time. He's living at home with his dad. His dad uh, is a bit harsh on him. Uh, I actually uh, take uh, issue looking at the, the father throughout the film going, where is the father? First and foremost, we see him at the intro, uh, which is great. We expect to know that we have a dad involved, and then uh, we don't see dad for the rest of the film. Well, he, he, has, he has a questionable taste in uh, breakfast drinks. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> he is in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's got food poisoning. He's got salmonella. Yeah. <laughs> you crack two eggs. And throw it in orange juice. And blend, and then drink. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you, what? 80s? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now... So do you have... Uh, oh, go ahead, No, go. You can explain. I got something else. Okay. You have pure protein for the egg white. Yeah. So there's the purest protein on Earth. Mixed with pure fat. Mm-hmm. From the, from the egg yolk. And then probably the highest liquid carbohydrate <laughs> that you can think of. Yep. yep. Basically protein and battery acid. Yeah. Acid. This guy has a fucking ulcer. Yeah. Oh, easily. Most definitely. And you're saying just the highest carbohydrates you can get in, like, a liquid form. It's like, orange juice is actually used in, like, emergency situations to bring a diabetic's blood sugar up fast. Yep. Yes. Yes. When I do diets, I have to do what's called a oxidative test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if somebody is 70% oxidative test on that level... I recommend they never drink orange again. Wow. <laughs> I see, it's sad. the acidity is so high, Yeah. it's like throwing battery acid on a fire. Mm. Oh, jeez. Now, see, it's like, sad, like, though. Like, it's sad, though. I'm diabetic, and I love orange juice. I think it's great. I cannot oh, have it very often at all, or my blood sugar is just going to yeah, go through the roof. You don't drink that. No. 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 Um, I, I get it. On a different note, um, 
the dad. As a kid, I thought he was the biggest asshole on the planet. Uh, because he's, because he's very, like, just, I don't know, I don't want to say abusive, because it's not necessarily verbally abusive, but he's so rigid, and so, like, you need to grow up. Well, first off, your child is, like, ten, okay? He has recently lost his mother. Now, I understand as, a, as an adult, this man has recently lost his wife. So, on a adult level, I can kind of see where he's just... He's going through his own grieving process. And his own grieving process is to buckle down, get everything, get all my ducks in a row. You need to grow up. You need to start, you know, because life isn't going to give you anything. Get your head out of the clouds. You got to start focusing on things because in his world, that's what he's doing. And he's kind of just throwing that onto his kid. So... While I, as an adult, I still think he's a jerk, I kind of feel for him at the same time because he's now raising a child on his own, his partner is dead, and he's not really knowing what to do. So he's basically just kind of diving headfirst into what he can control. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it, as I said, I, this movie became very meta for me. <laughs> it, it opened up a lot of dialogue that I never thought I had. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really fascinating for the, uh, yeah, definitely. The, uh, well, I was, uh, just thinking about, uh, the film and, uh, as you talked about the dad, I, yeah, it started to have this sort of be, uh, called back to the Polar Express. I know it's not... Nearly a, a, a similar, but the, there's a baseline concept that helped them uh, the, uh, the, the reverse uh, of being the, the difference between the, uh, the child and the adult. And we see uh, the child uh, is able to connect with uh, you through the ringing of the bell and the, that belief in Santa, whereas mm -hmm. the, as the adult uh, changes or grows, the, the, that ability to do so is no longer available. And it's just I know it's just a matter of uh, bell or hearing and not hearing, but in, in this context, uh, it's almost uh, like a yin and yang uh, between the, the father and the son. We have the son who's uh, so clung to uh, childhood and just needing to feel feel something, some connection to something, because he lost his mom. His mom was a conduit, I guess, of sort, that kept him grounded, that kept him uh, more involved, more, maybe possibly more confidence in himself. I feel like sort of with more backstory to the character. Without her, she's like that piece of the puzzle that uh, it, it removes him. It takes away that his ability to be himself. So he's become withdrawn. He's having to find uh, something to delve into. So he connects with book. Book is his way of uh, getting out of his uh, the reality he lives in and puts himself into a. Uh, uh, a more, a more uh, temporary state of being a uh, character. Uh, we ran a lot of series of books, uh, the books, so we had the owner that really uh, helped him, uh, I guess, keep that weight on himself. So, see, it seems like this where you try and really grasp that, like, how these characters come to be and, like, how, how uh, they develop and that distinction between the father and the son. It really says, uh, it says a lot about filming, but for myself, I was just, 
So, so discussing with the dad, and when you see justice, justice, I agree. I, I really, I mean, I, I genuinely wish the father had more empathy, more, more, more concern, more care for the son, and uh, we didn't get that. If I'm remembering correctly, and I might not be because I haven't seen this movie in a long time, the second movie, Never Ending Story 2, I believe the father is a bit more involved. He is. Um, in the plot line and the storyline. And from some of the research I've done, the Never Ending Story 2, which honestly the movie is kind of hot garbage, um... It, but it is the... It had good ideas, just the execution wasn't Well, great. it is actually the, the second half of the book. Yes. The This movie is the first half of the book, and The Neverending Story 2 is the second half of the book. Oh. Yeah. Kind of um, seemed like, like it was missing, missing something. something. Well, yeah, I mean, especially the way it ends. Like the original Falcor puppet yeah, for one. Yeah, like, what the hell is it? Right, it just ends. <laughs> it's one of those, uh, it took a cue from, like, some of the 20s movies where it just ends. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, you find you find out in the second movie that it is actually happening. Um, yes. Yep. And and people in the area saw it happen as well. Yeah, it's it is absolutely the kind of decision a ten year old would make, though. Oh, absolutely. Um. Although I can't really argue with the fact that I might actually pull something like that now <laughs> if I had the chance. But that also... It's something that he would do now if he had the chance. Yeah. Oh, I'm for that. I want to say, it's the kind of decision like chasing bullies with a dragon in, in front of like the entire city. That's the kind of decision a 10-year-old would make. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then, then what's the, the point? point? I, I mean, mean, I thought he was going to, you know, learn to face bullies or something. I mean, he kind of did. Sort of. Not really. I mean, he, he kind of did, but it was more of a, I'm going to get them back for, for what they've done to me recently. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, as from watching it, like I said, as an adult, um, I kind of see the bullies as something that hasn't been going on that long. This is just sort of started. Not not like right that day, but it's not something that's particularly old. Let's see. Once they find out you have access to a dragon, though, I'm pretty sure the bullies will leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but how does, how does that, that translate, translate to anything, anything useful? useful? Well, well, it's not really a useful movie. Yeah. It's the, the, this movie, the only thing this movie is really going to teach you um, is that if you're a child... Continue to use your imagination. Yes, you should read. Reading and read books. Good. Reading is good. Um, but other than other than that, um, and that friendship is is important. That's really the only real things you're going to get out of this movie when you're trying to teach a lesson. Would you say that friendship is magic? Oh God. Okay, that joke was so bad the dog just fought him fought to get away from me. Okay, everyone's a critic. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, also the according uh, uh, to the bookstore, the uh, part two of the uh, film. 
Yeah, uh, Lewis was a very unique character. It has a little backstory outside of the fact that he's the owner of this bookstore. Uh, he describes uh, how he feels about books, and then he gets, uh, gets in close with Bastion, and then ultimately uh, he has to uh, get up, answer a phone call, and then there goes Bastion uh, feeling or swiping the book, however you want to call it. But it's nice enough to leave a note that says, hey, no. He turns. If you notice, he turns, looks that the book is gone, and smiles. Yeah, because like he was. That was the whole thing was like bait to get Bastion to take the book, which is why you know I said I said it before. I think it might have been before uh, before being on mic, but. Uh, Mr. Coriander, I think he's part of Fantasia. Like, he's over on this side, and he's trying to find the kid that's going to fix everything. And he finds that kid... Yeah, he finds the kid in Bastion. Well, it's... Again, it's been a while since I've since I've watched uh, part two, but he was involved in getting the book back into Bastion's hands. Yes. And in the second movie, I think Bastion ends up like getting drawn into the book I was itself. Say, he's in Fantasia because I remember specifically a scene with him and Atreyu sitting in like um, like a desert yeah. around a campfire, and Atreyu's kind of given Bastion shit. Because Bastion's become kind of a little whiny baby. Bastion's being a little Yeah, little bitch. he's being a little bitch. And Atreyu's like, fucking man up. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, we have shit to do. Deal with it. Yeah. Pretty much. We gotta save Fantasia. You've, you've got the most powerful thing in the galaxy hanging around your neck. And you're whining? Yeah. Oh, come on now. Uh, but, like, the, the nothing gets taken care of, but then... There's something else that comes. The emptiness. The emptiness follows the nothing. Yeah. Uh, the emptiness doesn't kill you. It makes you extremely depressed. It's uh, it's it's more like banality. Yeah. It's like if, if Fantasia is the world of imagination and wonder and magic, the emptiness is working a nine-to-five in an office building. Everything it's, is gray. Everything is dull. Nothing really matters. Yeah, it's the banality of just nothing. Uh, well, not, I can't even say nothing, because that was the nothing. Like, yeah. The emptiness is just like the, the lack of any kind of wonder left in the world. Well, you know, so the, the second movie had good ideas, and the character designs were really cool. The execution, mm. <laughs> not so great. It's also one of the first movies that Jonathan Brandis ever did. Yep, and he uh, had not really, uh, yeah, you know, oh. done his thing yet. Because he, they recast pretty much everybody yep. in the second film, um, because it was. I don't think it was done by the same studio. No, I believe it was done like an American studio. Mm -hmm. So, um, they recast everybody. They recast Atreyu, they recast Bastion. I believe they even recast the father. They recast I'm, the father, yes. Um, I think the only one that stayed the same was Coriander. Coriander. They kept the same guy. 
Um, so yeah, so the second movie, like I said, is is they get I guess they get the second half of the book more or less the way that it was supposed to go, but uh, they, they the execution of it was they made some changes, but it is still more or less the second half. And of the then book. I don't even want to discuss the third one. We don't talk about the third one. It's, it's just, okay, you get these child actors, and like this one, the kid from Cocoon. If you okay, you get the kid from Cocoon. Um, you know he was in pretty some decent serious roles. Then in the second movie, you have Jonathan Brandis playing him, um, and Jonathan Brandis, as he got older, became a better actor. But yeah, he hadn't he, found his footing yet. He hadn't not as a as a child actor, no. And then of course he hit. I think he was in his early 20s when he committed suicide. So, yep. um, he was, he's kind of like a, 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 one of those, you know, uh, tragedies, um, when it comes to child actors. And then the third one, you've got the kid who played the kid in Free Willy. Mm. Who plays Bastion. Yeah, see, for, so for the record, I have seen, I have seen this movie, the original NeverEnding Story has to be Hundreds of times. Mm. I have seen NeverEnding Story 2. Less than that, but I've still seen it a bunch because, let's face it, it's still kind of a fun movie. It's not a fun a, fantasy It's movie. not a good movie, no. but it's a fun movie. I saw the NeverEnding Story 3 only once. And that was more than enough for me. And it was, like, ridiculously 90s. Bastion oh. is, like, a 13 or 14-year-old boy. And I remember... That there's a big fight scene in an underground parking lot under a mall. For no good reason. Like, this is supposed to be about Fantasia, damn it. Why are we in a mall? Because people from Fantasia are starting to come into the into our world in the third one. And it's like, I just remember, like, punk rockers or something like that. They look like punk rockers. It was so bad. It was bad. It was terrible. Oh, God. Just, just... Why? No. <laughs> God is dead. We killed him. So, uh, yeah. With that, uh, let's see. Uh, let's, <laughs> ahead. Uh, let's talk about Falcor. Now, Falcor is a very, uh, very critical character to the uh, Dark of Stories. He's the, uh, the transport for Atreyu uh, after a tracks. Sorry. Artax. Use the It's a good thing we're doing this remotely right now, because if you kept calling him Atrax, I might have just lunged across the table and slapped you. <laughs> Well, it's an eight-track cassette, so I mean, you're not not. You're not wrong. far off because no. they're basically the I same mean, thing. Like, maybe just joke, and I'm like, wait, that's the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure we could get a Betamax joke in here somewhere. Eight-track is a problem. It was lucky. Well, he's a he's a luck dragon. Yeah, see that's that's the way that's the way to write around a Deus Ex Machina in a book. He's a luck dragon. Yeah, it's lucky he found you. He's a luck dragon. <laughs> He's actually based on uh, the Chinese dragon. Chinese yep. dragons don't have wings. 
Uh, Chinese dragons have a very dog-like face. And they're like serpentine in their, in their body form. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking of the game Space Harrier. Yeah, yeah, there there are enemies in Space Harrier that are, I mean, basically Chinese dragons, but they're they're made up of just like different segments that are just circles, but they're basically Chinese dragons. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but there's like the you know the bonus level. I think where you're riding one. Yes, yes, that is true. It's been a long time since I played Space Harrier. <laughs> I have no idea. It's it's an arcade game from Sega. Oh, okay, okay. I have a game here. Yep. Or, no, Sega, uh, no, the Master System. Yep. Sega. Well, Falcor becomes our space area, I guess, in this instance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> something like that. He goes to um the... um. I was going to say Miracle Max. Um, he goes to the home of uh, Angabook and Urgel, uh, who Angabook is the leading expert on the Southern Oracle, yep. and Urgel is his, his wife. wife and a potion maker. Yeah, potion She's maker, like a doctor, he healer. doctor, healer kind of thing. And uh, they're both basically gnomes. They're yeah. both considerably smaller than Atreyu. Um, and they nurse him back to health after he almost dies in the swamp. Um, and apparently they're friends with, uh, with Falcor. Yes, they're friends with Falcor. Um, Gamork, not Gamork, um, Morla said that the, the only people who know how to beat the nothing is a Southern Oracle that was 10,000 miles away from where he was. And that's where Atreyu started to kind of despair, started to sink into the swamp and started to lose all lose hope. hope. Yeah. And uh, Falcor comes along, luckily and brings him like 9,871 9, 9, like miles, 91 miles yeah. as the dragon flies. <laughs> brings him that much closer to the Southern Oracle. Now I want to point out something here that I, I realized from watching it the other day, and Dan and I kind of talked about it. Um, this next scene, um, after... Uh, Atreyu is, is finding out about the Southern Oracle and is looking through essentially this telescope to, to watch what the Southern Oracle actually is. Watching the dude in the armor. The dude, dude in the armor get, like, disintegrated. We, the Luck Dragon has just said, Falcor has just said that it's, like, 9,800 miles, which means that the Southern Oracle is still 100 miles away. Mm-hmm. Yet, we climb up a little mountain, we look through a telescope... And not only can we see the Southern Oracle, but uh, Treyu gets down off the mountain and to the Southern Oracle what? in like three minutes. Well, hold on, time out. The 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 gate they that that first gate they see is not necessarily the Southern Oracle, and That's there could right. be That's a true. long stretch of stretch of where, wherever between. The, the gate and then the magic mirror. But they gate. don't show that. They don't because then it's Lord of the Rings and we're just watching people walk for three movies. Okay. Okay. I'll give you that. Yeah. But they could have had it been like, I brought you 9,984 9, miles. So you only have to go <laughs> like 16 miles. Right. You're welcome. Like that I would have understood. <laughs> but I would understand that more than a hundred and something. It still, has to, it still has to be vaguely epic, though. 
It's already been kind of epic <gasps> at this point, though. How many freaking dragons do you know? I mean, okay, but how epic? He went into the swamp, talk, like, lost his horse, talked to a turtle. Found a huge turtle, okay. then a dragon, All right. then talked to gnomes. Yeah. And she's explaining that he's drinking all these weird shit to make him feel better. There's, he's wearing a magical amulet given to him by some magical freaking people. Well, yeah, but can they cast Fireball? <sighs> <laughs> My point is, it's already been kind of epic. You don't have to add in walking. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's basically me arguing with him. We're just, ha we're just having a little stir-crazy argument, don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, I got to get out of it because the thing that uh, fascinated me too was uh, the tree uh, covered from uh, dead swamp eggs all uh, beat up. Yeah, he looks quite tattered and then he's carried away in the hotel floor. It, 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 I was fascinated how he's all cleaned up. It's like, and my first impression was, who cleaned him up? It's like, what would it have? Hotel floor just like, what would it have? They cleaned him up, they dressed his wounds. Yeah. Yep. And he's been sleeping for a while. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's been out probably for like a couple of days, really. Didn't they say he was out for a while? Yeah, I yeah. believe they did. So, I mean, yeah, I mean... What was that? Getting closer to, right. to the goal. Yes. At this point. So, yes, the first gate uh, on the way to the Southern Oracle is, well, it's basically the orange version of the Southern Oracle. Is boobies. It's it's two sets of boobs. Uh, yeah. On a... He's <laughs> like, oh, we got Bob back. <laughs> yep. Golden boobies and laser eyes. Yep, we got Bob back, yay. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the uh, this this gate uh, judges your worth. It can see straight through into your heart and find if you are unworthy to pass and find you know the oracle. And apparently, a lot of people are really unworthy. Well, the thing is, there's the whole point of this is supposed to be you're supposed to see worth in yourself. It's not so much that they find you unworthy, that you're supposed to find your own worth. And if you feel that you're unworthy, the, then they kill you. Then they're going to laser you in the face. Yes. So Atreyu, when he first starts going, he's like, I know what I'm doing. I, so I'm, I, I can do this. this. No problem. I'm confident. Then the, then the visor of the knight's helmet opens up and sees what actually happened to him. And he's like, oh shit, now there's doubts. Oh no. And that's when the, the that's when the uh, the gate starts to their their eyes start to open and they start to real and he starts to realize oh shit oh shit oh shit, and then he does what apparently nobody has done before. He jumps. He just fucking books it. <laughs> he just hauls ass, and the lasers miss. Now, this is an idea of a really wild story. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. So. Years ago, a family friend of ours, and I'm kind of paraphrasing the story a little bit, had a house built, and we were doing some work for him. Yeah. And he looks over my dad and goes, 
hey, I need you to get the safe that's in the office, that's in the house that's being built, and I need you to take that and bring it to this office, because there's a bunch of stuff in there. He's like, oh, okay. And my dad goes, okay, Nick, come on. And we go to the, we go to the truck, we head over to the house, and we're, we're like in a deep wooded area. Ooh. Like, like barely, there's barely anybody else around. around. And this, this house was like, like a fucking mansion. I mean, there's, there's a security team watching the construction. And my dad walks right past everybody with a hand truck, takes the safe, finds it, puts it in the hand truck, starts wheeling up towards the truck, and then this dude's like this big dude. As, as wide as he's tall, he goes, Hey, did Harry send you? But then he goes, Yeah, Harry's, Harry's coming, coming later. later. Okay. okay. Takes, Takes the hand truck, puts the same back on the truck, and then leaves. <laughs> my, my dad looks at me and goes, Let this be a lesson to you. you. Always, Always look, look like, like you know what you're doing. doing. Yep. <laughs> If you think if you look like you know what you're doing, if you look like you know what you're doing, people assume you know what you're doing. There was a podcast I used to listen to out uh, that was out of uh, Las Vegas, and one of the people on the show kept saying, like, if you want to get anywhere in Las Vegas, dress in black and carry a ladder. People are just going to assume you belong there. Um. Huh? Did we cut out? Yeah. Yeah. Alright, yeah, never mind. I was just telling a story from a different uh, telling a story from something I'd heard in the past. It's nothing nothing important, don't worry about it. Okay. Well it was really fascinating to see uh Treyu uh jump and the, these two statues seemingly attempt to uh, shoot them down and they completely missed. So my question was as I'm watching the film and perhaps you guys could tell me he had the confidence when he went when he started walking um and it, he was about maybe halfway through when a gust of wind opened up the visor to the guy who had gotten in before him and he saw that the guy had been sh like fried and he started to doubt himself because he started to get scared yeah and that little bit of doubt was enough for the uh for the gate to like basically judge him and he had a split split second decision to make again it, it's not so much the the gate deciding if you're worthy it's like Josh said before you have to decide that you're worthy like you have to see the worth in yourself and at that moment when he got scared being scared is not something that his warrior you know self right. self is something that he's supposed to do he's supposed to be brave mm -hmm. and he got scared and so his own self-worth dropped in his own mind and that's what, and that's basically what triggered the the gate to open its eyes and take a shot at him. Uh, yeah, it sure was pretty cool to see that happen. I'm just saying yeah. that he did make it through because I was kind of 
Please make it. Don't get, don't die. I mean, clearly, he's the important character. It looks like please don't get shot up. Wouldn't it be a hell of a movie if you just got like just blasted dead right there? Just like and Fantasia died. The end. Now, now we're like Alfred Hitchcock territory, and it becomes very different. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to get these sub-characters to become the main characters. Like, ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so, thankfully, he does make it through, and he's on to the next stage, which uh, Ujinwok says is the uh, very critical uh, juncture where he has to uh, uh, walk across this frozen tundra and like, his very skimpy clothing, which is presumably you know, warrior clothing, and he's not considering, hey, I'm going to... Uh, a different climate I should have uh, packed for this, but uh, you know he's wearing these very these shorts and his uh, short sleeves or uh, you know, the sleeves at the top, whatever. And he's having like walking across this frozen tundra, and he uh, happens across this mirror, which is a uh, very critical mirror uh, to oneself because, uh, as Eugene Walk said, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if you believe uh, you are a kind person, you have that. Uh, this mirror has the ability to show that you are a cruel person. If you believe you are a brave person, if you have uh, very, you know, like, uh, some kind of extraordinary belief in yourself, you become, uh, we believe that you're uh, a fraud, uh, that you're not this person, that you're, you're a fraud, you're a fake of some kind. And so somehow this mirror is that distinction, and only the, the truest uh, of people would be able to uh, see themselves as they truly are and be able to walk past, walk beyond uh, this mirror. Yep. Mm-hmm. It also kind of shows that Atreyu's on the right path because he gets a small glimpse of Bastion. And Bastion, reading the book, sees that that Atreyu got a glimpse of him, freaks out and goes, nope, and just throws the book. He eats the book. And it's like, fuck, nope, fuck off. And that's what I was wondering, because I haven't seen this in a very long time, whether they were actually looking at each other. Uh, Bastion wasn't so much looking at him as Bastion was reading that Atreyu was looking at him. Um, oh, okay. Like yeah. looking at someone with, looking at a boy who is the exact description of Bastion. And when it clicked in Bastion's head, it's just like, all right, this is haunted, fuck this. Well, I have to bring up a yeah. point, too, that earlier in the film, uh, Bastion screams at one point while he's reading the book. When and Morla this, shows up. When Morla shows up, Bastion screams. And you can hear the scream in Fantasia. And both, and yeah. both uh, Morla and Atreyu start looking around. Like, they're, they're confused. They're like, where did this sound come that? from? And Bastion says to himself, they couldn't have heard me. No way. And then continues on. Yep. If I could also, also expand on that, that too. That was actually a very interesting uh, information on that. Yeah, the special, special effects, effects for the time. time. Mm -hmm. um, that particular scene, uh, what precedes that, uh, comes before it says, um, we're, we're uh, introduced to uh, Falkor time, and Atreyu rescues him from a character named Y. Brimble, uh, many, uh, which ends up being a swarm of poisonous wasps that take the form of a giant spider. And this yep. is where we uh, come across Bastion's scream uh, being heard by the characters in the book. Uh, it was supposed to have taken place, but... Right, right, right. Uh, because that scene was not uh, able to be filmed in the limitations of special effects, as I just said. Um, the, uh, they did just have him screaming, and they just uh, placed it more into the back that... You know, and, and that's actually one of the scenes in the movie where I remember it was like, 
Why are you screaming? Yeah. Well, I didn't find. Yeah, like, I didn't find that part particularly shocking, and I'm like, why is? Why are you screaming here? That makes no sense. Then you go back and you read about that, and it's like. Oh, uh, yeah, a giant spider would kind of freak my ass out, too. A giant spider made of of poisonous wasps. Yeah, yeah, I'd be kind of it's freaked like, out about that. That'd be fucking hardcore, but no way they could have pulled that off with, with the tech. In Not the in 1984. No. <laughs> like, they could have tried, and it would have been like, oh, oh, I, oh, that's, they, they you tried. It's like, she, it's like she loved the spider queen on a budget of a dollar fifty. <laughs> yeah See, I'm of two minds. Because while I'm, I'm very much, and Dan can attest to this, I'm a book purist. I really am. If I've read the book and I've seen the movie, and if the movie jumps so far away from the book, I get very angry. It's kind of infuriating watching Harry Potter. Yeah, I get very upset about certain things. Not so much Harry Potter, I can forgive some, but more recent movies like the the Mockingjay and and, uh, the Hunger Games series. Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Things like that. Um, I I actually didn't read that one. I I had it at my store, but I never actually read it. Pride and Prejudice with the zombies? I've seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That movie is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, go ahead. There's a scene in the book where he goes to New Orleans and meets... um, Oh, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe Okay. And they have, like, this 15-page conversation. And, I'm sorry, where did I have it? They have this 15-page conversation, and it's not a movie. Yeah. Not even the least scene or no. Nope. No. See, when you said you went to uh, to uh, Louisiana, uh, we went to New Orleans, I was going to say, oh, what, did he meet Lestat and punch him in the face? See, that's where my mind went, because I, I was actually going to bring up, it's like, if we're going to be movie, like me, being a, a, the Louis, purist. Louis and Lestat. Um, uh, interview with a vampire. Well, not so much. Yeah. Uh, not so much a direct uh, uh, adaptation from the book. Got the approval of Anne Rice. And Rice saw it and went, huh, okay, it's not bad. It's it's close enough. I can I yeah, can deal with it. It got the stamp of, ah, it'll do. Yeah, well, no, she was actually really happy with it. And then uh, Queen of the Dam came out. And she went, And Noop. she wanted to burn the whole fucking thing down. Because oh. they took two books, crammed them into one movie, and took specific elements out of each one. Yeah. And kind of wrecked it. Oh, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. It was so bad. The music, good. The soundtrack was good. Soundtrack was great. Mm-hmm. 
Um, hey, is the only time I can actually approve of Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Davis? Jonathan Davis. Because I'm not a corn fan, but I like that. Well, Jonathan Davis always sounds like he's on the verge of tears. Yeah. <laughs> he's a D&D player, though, so I can't yeah, really so say we're, too we're much cool. about him. So is um, Vin Diesel, but he's an asshole. Vin Diesel is a, is a D&D player, and so is uh, Joe Maglioni. Uh, okay. Yes, he is. He is. He's 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 a wicked nerd. Would you let me let me guess? Superman probably plays a paladin. Huh? <laughs> I don't know, but that's kind of funny. <laughs> um. Yeah, but because uh, you know, Green Arrow's playing the bard, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um. But yeah, so I'm a book purist. Uh, to get back to what my, my point. Yes. Um, I'm a book purist. So if they decided they were going to make a new movie out of the never-ending story and kept really close to the source material, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it. However, if they decided to remake this movie like they've done with a lot of other remakes of 80s movies and decide to go their own updated spin on some of this shit... Looking at you, RoboCop. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Total Recall, uh, Point Break. I could continue, but I'm not going to. Um, you do stuff like that, and you're going to kill the franchise, not only for the new people who are going to be introduced to it, but the people who have already seen it and loved it. Yep. You kill both, and that's where I'm. I'm a little iffy about making another one see i'm gonna i'm gonna side on i'm gonna be on the side of a hard no because if you reboot never-ending story they're gonna cram as much cgi into it as they possibly can and it's going to lose something it's not going to have the same the same charm the same feel unless they do what they did with the dark crystal series Mm. Where they keep themselves to practical effects and use the CGI sparingly, like, in between bits. Like, and now I know this isn't a great example, but the Marvel movies. A lot of the stuff in the Marvel movies are practical effects with CGI pasted in. Like, yeah. most of the Iron Man suit is an actual thing that he's wearing. Yeah, they just add in right. stuff to it. Yeah. Um, and I could I could see that. Like I can I can actually oh say okay to that. Yeah. You wanna you wanna CGI a bunch of wasps turning into a spider? Okay. Go I'm for it. For that, because that's do it. that's gonna be hard to do with puppets. But keep the aspect of the turtle. Yeah, let let Morla be, be a practical a practical effect. effect. Be a puppet. You can do it, and we have, up, I, I don't want to say updated materials, but we have updated technology. So, you could make it even better. Okay. So, that's where I would be. It's like, if you want to do that, and you want to, like I said, stick closer to the source material, I would say instead of a movie, I would say maybe do it as like a next Netflix series. So they can actually, okay, I, you know what? Do it as a Netflix series or like, you know, the AMC thing like they're doing with American Gods. Yep. So you can expand out on certain bits and make that Artax scene hurt even more. Right. Because leading up to that, I heard a thud. You guys okay? Yeah. 
I would say it, you know, a Netflix series or whatever could flesh out a bit more and make the Artax scene hurt more. Because in the movie, we got, what, a scene and a half yeah. with Artax before he died? Right. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Make me make me feel more for him though. You yeah. want to hurt you want to hurt me as an adult the way you hurt me as a child. Give me give me something to hold on to. Yeah, give get, like show us show us a little bit of a flashback of Ar of Atreyu back with the plains people and him raising Artax from from like right. a, from like a cult. And you can also give him. Now I'm going to be pulling stuff from other genres here, but um, it's obvious they kind of make it a point that. Uh, Atreyu can read Artax. He can read either his thoughts or his feelings. Yep. And that... He's the horse whisperer. But, but he's there just is... very good. In other fantasy uh, novels and such, I can't remember the word for it. There is a word for it of a person who um, can uh, speak with and uh, communicate with horses. I cannot remember what they're called. It's a druid. No. It's um. <laughs> but, um... There is there is a very specific word for it, and that's what he is. So, I would kind of do more of that too. Where okay, this is a special connection between him and this horse. Make me feel something for the horse, so that I feel really really bad when he dies, and I my heart breaks even more for Atreyu. It's really fascinating. Just the uh, I mean, again, I haven't read the book, so I don't want to come across as somebody who knows it. But from what I've read and uh, try to understand the book versus the, the film. Uh, the book wasn't trying to really uh, get us that deep into this uh, emotional state where we're really deeply connected um, with the, uh, the horse dying. It was more of like a, a piece of like a, like a passing piece, but one of growth where the uh, where Ape the Crane had a, he learned from the, the death of the, the, the horse and that it would uh, continue on in the journey. Whereas in the film, it was much more, um, it was much more. Uh, it was poetic. It was, uh, I don't know, just, it was much, it was, there was much more to it. Um, and it really, it was really drawing on us as the audience to really connect with it because if you, the dynamic of, um, uh, just watching a creative space, like, he's literally looking at us, and I forget, I apologize for mentioning this earlier in the program, um, he's literally looking at us. He's, yep. he's, push, he's pulling on Artax, I get it right, he's pulling on Artax, <laughs> Yeah. He's looking at us, yep. so he's really drawing, he's pulling us out. I mean, there's something just really amazing about it. I can understand how mm -hmm. hearing you guys talk about yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, and just reading about uh, how the horse accepted his death, in the book anyway, yeah. he was willing to die. In, in the film, I mean, I can't say for the horse by any means, but just looking at the horse, and if it were to emote, the impression I was getting was, I'm okay with dying. Like, it accepted it. It's in the swamp of sadness, and it accepted its own death. This is this is the end of my road. To allow the horse to die, you know. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that horse was was even as as calm as it was, and it wasn't super calm, was because it was actually standing on a mechanical platform. Uh, that like the the whole swamp of sadness thing was like just like a a pool filled with gunk, essentially. And that horse was standing on a mechanical platform that was slowly lowering it down. And they, in between scenes, they would just, like, slowly lower the horse just a little bit so he could just accept, like, okay, 
Okay, this is what we're doing. Okay, fine. Okay, and then it's up to its neck, and the horse is like, nah, I'm done with this. I'm fucking done with this. <laughs> well, they weren't going to dip the horse under. No. <laughs> at one point, at one point, uh, Noah, Noah Hathaway got dragged under by the mechanics. Oh, Jesus. Nearly drowned. He was unconscious when they pulled him out. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Yep. By the time they got to him, he was unconscious. He almost drowned. Yep. <laughs> Poor kid! Yep. Yep. He got trampled and then kicked by, uh, by Artax, so they weren't exactly as close as it seemed. <laughs> good, good lord, that poor kid! Yep. Right, yeah. <laughs> As well, um, uh, no, what's his name? Noah. Noah Hathaway. Noah Hathaway. Now he's a uh, he's a tattoo artist in L.A. In L.A. So I wonder how how many times he's been asked to like tattoo the Orin, you know, <laughs> or Artax or something on people. I say, if we ever go to L.A., we should find his tattoo shop, go and it's like, hey, can we get a tattoo of the Orin and see what kind of stink eye he gives us? <laughs> right here. Yeah. And, they, and I could just see him just kind of like, if he's got glasses or something, just kind of look at you over the glasses like, okay, come on. <laughs> like, I've never heard that one before. Yeah, you're original. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna tattoo a tracks to Bob. All right, so a tracks is gonna go to my friend's house to piss him off. Yep. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, when yeah, so when Atreyu gets past the magic mirror gate, uh, he makes it to the actual Southern Oracle. Could be a couple hundred miles away that he walked. We're not really sure. They just you know time skipped that just a bit. And the Oracle tells with, him with more boobies. Yep, four more boobies. Uh, these start to crumble though, and it's kind of sad. Um, no! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the Oracle tells, uh, tells Atreyu that the only person, the, the only one who can save the childlike Empress is an earthling child. And he's like, okay, where do I find one? It's like, they're not in Fantasia. And he's like, well, shit. <laughs> so what do I do? He's like, he's been with you the whole time. What do you mean? And then she starts going on about how what? she was with he was uh, No, 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 that's later. Oh, the childlike Empress goes says oh, that's that later. Right. But it just says, yeah, he's he's been following you on your journey to find him you must go beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. Which we find out from Gamork later, there are no boundaries to Fantasia. You're on a fool's errand. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Which we're getting to. <laughs> Yes, they, they were. were sh they were shimmering. They were there, blue. There was glitter. 
No. No. Well, the, the the first couple of sets that show up in the movie, you're not really expecting them. You're just like, all right, this is the movie. Oh, boops. All right. Yes, it is exactly like the Spanish Inquisition. Yes. No one expects it. You're not expecting it, and they're just like, oh, look, tasteful underboob. In some, some way, way, by, by them being uh, whole while trying to give the trade of this information, were they in fact some type of conduit of holding or maintaining the balance of Fantasia? Yes. And because of this information, it was slowly falling apart because of the reasons? Well, they, the Southern Oracle has been using its power to hold the nothing back as much as it can. And the minute Atreyu shows up, it's almost like it can... It can, take a sigh of relief and like, be like, it can let the my dam job break. is done. It can let the dam break. We have to stay We have to stay until we can fulfill our part and give the Chosen Warrior the information that he needs. And now that we can do this, we can let go. And unfortunately, it means that nothing comes in faster and stronger, but at least Atreyu got the information. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's very Yeah, it, it was well done. Like they they paid attention yeah, to the I'll details. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the basically as they're flying around, all the different like seeing all the different parts of Fantasia. That's the two of them trying to find the boundaries of Fantasia so they can find this Earthling child. 
but they're unable to, and they have a close encounter with the Nothing, which kind of lend, you know, lends credence to the whole the Southern Oracle was holding the Nothing back, at least to a certain extent, because now the Nothing has found Atreyu specifically and just kind of goes He's after rolling him. towards him. And like Kaz said earlier, it's like... There are clouds, like, it looks like a bunch of storm clouds coming at him. Um, because that's, that's the sign that the nothing is coming. Yes, it's, uh, it's difficult to, like, personify is not the word, but to, to represent an invisible force that is actually nothing. So, like, the clouds roiling ahead are just kind of, they're like the, the, the wake uh, that's, ro- that's mm-hmm. rolling in front of nothing. The stars were what was left. It was the little chunks. They, they weren't so much stars, it was more dust. Oh. But they didn't light. Well, I mean, it's all, it's, you know. Well, you, you could think about it this way. It's almost like it's the, the little bits that are flying around and, and everything are kind of reflecting off of the uh, the childlike emperor's palace, which uh, is still standing, tower. the ivory tower, which is still standing, and like, that admits its own light. It's the most intact bit of Fantasia that's left. And if you want to go a little bit further and be a little bit more like, well, actually, um, you could also say that Fantasia is mostly made of magic. And who's to say magic ain't sparkly? Yeah. <laughs> See, if we're going to do the um actually thing, though, we need to get you a pair of glasses that you can smugly push up your nose when no, you say No, that it. requires me to also wear a neck beard, and I'd prefer not to do that. Hey, now. <laughs> Everything's closed. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> criticize my neck beard, okay? It, wouldn't, it would be gone if I could. All right, so... We, we arrive now, yes. uh, after all this happens, we arrive uh, a tree who's thrown from a cowboy where he's on a normal beach, lost and trying to call out the cowboy who was also in part looking uh, for a tree They're both unable to uh, communicate with one another as they're not able to actually find each other because they're both in two distinct parts of somewhere. I'm not entirely sure where. My question is, where are we exactly now here? Even as watching, I'm watching the film, I didn't understand if we were back in the, uh, the uh, destination uh, which the uh, majority of the characters were heading towards, where they were all trying to uh, convert, convene uh, on the Empress Palace. Are we, where were we? At this, um, at this point, at this point, I believe that they are in central Fantasia near the Ivory Tower. But it's not like everyone could just stay in the ivory tower. There's only so much room there, and the nothing. I, I get that, but it's entire civilizations being forced to the center of Fantasia to escape the nothing. You can't fit an entire civilization into the tower. So I've the as far as I can tell, they are near like central Fantasia, but. The nothing has just come in from all sides. That kind of actually makes sense, too, because yeah. because of who shows up in this particular scene. Yeah, they come in from all sides, and there's only so much of the land of Fantasia left. So many people are gone. So much of the world is just gone. And Atreyu is crushed. He's lost the Orin. He's lost Falcor. He lost Artax. As far as he knows, he has failed and the world is doomed because he failed. And he stumbles across the Rockbiter. 
And the rock biter is a character that we kind of glossed over a little bit because um, I like the rock biter. When mm -hmm. when the movie when the film begins, it kind of you kind of jump into uh, this this small group of people. Um, there's there's three, a, three travelers. Three travelers. There's a a, a bat. A, um, there's a night hob. A night hob, which and is like a, a a goblin looking dude. Mm -hmm. um, from the south. From the south. You've got this other like small little. Um, Teeny Weenie. Little man, whose name is Teeny Weenie, with his racing snail. And he comes from the lands in the west. And then we see this giant made of stone. Riding a stone riding bicycle. Riding a stone bicycle. That was pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, towards oh, them. That was the... It's the rock biter, yes. It's the rock biter, yep. He, um... And he is from the north. He is from the north, and he stops, and the, the rock biter, at first they think he, he's gonna run them over, and he doesn't, he stops, and he says, you know, asks politely if he could join their party for the evening. Yeah. And they discuss what they're going to do. And like they're, where they're from. Where they're from and what they're, where they're heading. And they're all heading to the same place. They're all heading towards the Ivory, um, Tower. The Ivory Tower. Because the nothing is starting to take over their, their homes. And they wanted to know what the Empress was going to do about it. So... Once they all decide, it's like, oh, wait, we're all going to the same place. Let's travel together. Let's travel together. And so that's happening. So the three of them become fast they're friends. Like, yeah, they're like, they're travelers they're, together. They're an adventuring party. You know, they, they'd, have the, uh, they'd have the podcast about them you know, <laughs> on, and their adventures. Yes. They, and then it jumps to, um, to the Bastion stuff, and then yep. it jumps to the Ivory Tower, and everybody sort of... And the only one who can actually witness it is the Night Hob, because he's the only one that flies. Right. So and we assume the other two are They're in at the, the area. I mean, yeah. the, the Rock Rider's not going to be walking into the Ivory Tower. No, he's too damn big. So when Atreyu, at this point, runs into the Rock Rider, it hasn't been that long. No. It's been maybe a week. So... If that... You would you would guesstimate at least that the rock biter is still in the area towards where the ivory tower is because mm -hmm. that was like the last place the nothing was heading. And then, then we get the scene that Dan yeah. really really bothers Dan. This this scene, uh, it's referred to as the rock biter's lament, and it's just the rock biter is just sitting there, depressed. And when, you know, when uh, Atreyu realizes that the, 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 the rock he just leaned up against was actually a foot, the camera put, pulls back and we see the rock biter and he just, he's looking down at Atreyu, he's looking at his hands, he says, they look like big, strong hands, don't they? And this scene is what actually gets me now as an adult. When I was a kid, Artax destroyed me. Now, as an adult, Rockbiter losing his friends, losing everything, because he wasn't strong enough, because he couldn't hold on to them. That is what gets me. That is what absolutely destroys me. And, it's, and his whole thing is like, it wasn't strong enough to take me. It took my friends, and it's making me suffer. That, I... That's the that's the scene that gets me, and I'm I'm getting goosebumps right now, just thinking about it again. Yeah, it's it's that I don't. It's one of my things. Like I I don't I can't handle failing people. 
Like, if, if I screw something up for myself, fine, whatever, I know, I get it, I suck, but if I, if I fail someone else, if I disappoint someone else, it bothers me. And that's why the Rock Rider here, that's why it, it hits so hard. Like, did, did any of the rest of you kind of get, like, a similar, similar feel from this? he wasn't able to keep his friends safe and he failed so it is it's both the treyu and the rock biter wallowing in their own Indivi very different but very similar individual failures in that moment. That it's like the darkest moment of this movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I wasn't, wasn't thinking, thinking of that for like, like a split, split second, second when he's like, like they look like, like really strong and don't they? they? I, I thought, thought it was a stoner joke. Man, they call them fingers, but you never see them fing. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, there they go. <laughs> but I, I thought it, it was like it was like, like an underhanded stutter joke for the adults. <laughs> no, no, it was it was straight up just suicidal depression because at the end of it he says, "I think I'm just going to stay here and let it take me too." That's mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that is really deep. It gives you a brand new meaning. Wow. Wow. I'm just trying to process all that too. Yep. Yeah. And then the sequence to the Moon Sport, Creed, begins to see Team Drone, Stone, and we've had a Stone, and we've Because at this point, at this point, it's like Gamork is, he's also injured. He's been almost destroyed by the nothing because he also failed. Like right. th this whole scene is just like a, just failure after failure after failure. And it's about how the characters who, f who failed handle the fact that they failed. Gordon didn't have to handle anything. He got stabbed. 
But before he gets stabbed, before he even realizes that Atreyu is Atreyu, he's just he's, he's, he's moping. moping and talking to what he presumes is just this random child that uh, uh, he's been looking for the warrior Atreyu and he couldn't find him and he lost him. Lost and him has, in the swamps of sadness. Lost, lost him in the swamps of sadness, hasn't been able to find him. You know, before yeah. I eat you, I'm just going to basically... Uh, uh, I'm going to monologue at I'm you. I'm going to monologue at you for a minute and explain how I screwed up. And that's when uh, Atreyu kind of takes everything that he's been feeling right now, realizes that this thing has been coming after him, that the nothing is coming after him, kind of takes everything, turns it into rage, and then kills Gamork. He's just like, bring it, motherfucker. I'll stab you with a piece of shale. Fuck it, the world's ending. Come on, let's go. I think he actually says, come at me, Gamork. Mm-hmm. I'm just picturing this, like the scene in the movie, like Gamork just like like lunges out of the cave at him, and I'm just picturing like if the camera was pulled back just a little bit, you see like three interns just just shove <laughs> this thing out of the thing and just throw it at Noah Hathaway. <laughs> oh, 
if I ever met this man in real life, I'd just kind of want to hug him and be like, I'm hugging you for 14-year-old you. It's like you almost this, died this 19 hug, times. This hug is for 14-year-old you. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. So, yeah, when... <laughs> after... After... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so after what is probably the most anticlimactic final fight in a movie, because it's literally just a, oh god, Jesus, and then he's dead. Because he, he gets him right in the heart, it looks like. Because I mean, that's how fights go in real life. You're yeah. not going to have, like, these dancing... You know, moving around like big, crazy fisticuffs fights. A real fight lasts a few seconds, and then somebody's bleeding on the ground. And it's basically what happened, I think, is that Atreyu grabs this sharp, sharp stone, calls out Gamork. Gamork lunges. Atreyu just ducks underneath just as ducks the lunge and comes shoves the, and just shoves this thing up into his ribcage. It's like nothing fancy, nothing, no crazy footwork, just a, ah, oh, Jesus, and dead. And the servant of the nothing has been destroyed. And this is when the nothing comes crushing in and just destroys everything. Like, the last of everything is gone. And that's when Falcor does his last, like, huzzah! Yeah, Falcor. <laughs> um, like, there's been... Hmm? What? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's been like little side scenes while while Atreyu's been going around in like the broken remains of Fantasia, where Falcor luckily finds <laughs> the Orin on the seafloor, picks it up, and he you know he's flying, he's trying to figure out, trying to find uh, Atreyu, and luckily he finds Atreyu just before the nothing is going to destroy. Everything around him, he snatches him up from the tree branch right before the entire in, the entirety of the last of Fantasia breaks apart and saves Atreyu again. The next scene we see is the two of them flying through effectively space. Good thing you can breathe in space. It's a Power Rangers <laughs> thing. It's a Power Rangers um, thing. You can breathe on the moon. It's yep. fine. It's like there's air on the moon. Why? Don't question it. You just there just is. Okay, now I enjoyed that movie to a certain extent, but Space Leia, I mean, come on. Anyway, um, that's that's not what we're here for today. That's it. Okay, <laughs> I have rants about Star Wars now, but I'm not going to get into it. So they're they're flying through space. So they're flying through space, like the the crash, cr crushed, cracked remains of Fantasia, and it's just chunks of dirt and rock are all that is left, and just these little bits are coming apart themselves and smashing into each other and falling apart. And what, Chino? You don't like post-apocalyptic? Is that it? You don't like? <laughs> oh, oh, the landlord's home, so you gotta flip out, because that's what you do. <laughs> I get it. Anyway, um, yeah, so they're flying through basically this empty nothing, and they're discussing, well, what do we do now? There's, what, what can we do? And Falcor says, all we can do is hope. And then, luckily, as they come, come around another large chunk of Earth, they see the intact ivory tower. Just floating. Mostly intact. Ivory Tower. Yeah. 
So, they land. It will see it, it, it. Funny, isn't it? Yeah, it is a wish. Because it's a wish. He is making a wish. That's what the, that's what the Orin does. The wish granting powers of the Orin are much much further explored in the second movie. Mm -hmm. But at the end of this one, it's basically having the Orin is what lets Bastion have the wishes that he made. Yep. You know? It's like, what's your first wish? Motherfucker, I'm gonna ride on Falcor. That's and, my first wish. And I'm gonna bring something up right. after yeah. uh, once we get to it. Alright. But I'm gonna bring something up once we get to it. We're almost there. Okay. So they find the ivory tower, or what's left of it. Uh, it's still mostly intact. They land, and Atreyu goes to meet with the childlike empress. And she's the only one left in the ivory tower. Like, the, the, the seneschal guy is gone. All the, all the people who had come to ask for her help are gone, presumably consumed by the nothing. And they have a talk. And Atreyu apologizes for failing and for being for not being the chosen one that he thought he was supposed to be. And she tells him, "Right, yeah, I couldn't find the Earthling child." And she tells him, like you were mentioning it before, he's been with you the whole time. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's been with you. He was with you uh, when. Um, you, when you lost Artex in the Swamp of Sadness, he was with you. When uh, when you spoke to Morla, he was with you. When uh, you you almost drowned and Falcor got you, he was with you. When you went to see the Southern Oracle, he's been with you this whole time. Mm -hmm. He's been he's been watching and, and our story. And what he doesn't realize is everybody there. That people are watching his story as well. He's been watching you just as others, others have, have been, been watching, watching him. him. And at this point, you the actors almost turn to the camera and be like, huh? Yeah, yeah, huh? You're involved in this audience. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> and but when I was a kid, I never picked up on that. Nope. <laughs> When I was a little kid, I was just like, oh, that's cute. People yeah. are watching him, not it's realizing like that it's me. people are watching him. They were with him when he hid from the bullies in the bookstore. Yeah. They were with him when he stole the book. That whole thing, and it's just like, oh, okay, all right, we're going layers now. I feel like I'm being watched. Oh, God. And then, you know, and then you find out what it is that's going to to basically fix everything. Is that she needs a name. Because apparently the childlike empress don't have one. Because the nothing is stolen. Because the nothing stole her name, and she needs a name because that will give her the power to defeat the nothing. And a little bit earlier in the movie, when he, when Bastion, like when Atreya was at the Southern Oracle, and learned that the empress needed a name, Bastion said, "I know the most perfect name. Mm -hmm. she, my mother had the most beautiful name." 
And then he just goes back and he starts to read it. There His mother had a freaking hippy dippy name. Yup. I'm sorry. It's. <laughs> Moonchild. Yelling. Oh. No, his name is not yelling. It's Moonchild. <laughs> <laughs> Moonchild. It's Moonchild. Yeah. So <laughs> as they, yeah, her name is Moonchild. It's legit. As they have this discussion, <laughs> as they as they have this. It's Moonchild. It's it. Yeah. Like I said, I studied that freaking movie. And I read the book. And he, was, he says Moonchild. It's Moonchild. Yeah. 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 I think we took a while back where you said it. You told that story to us. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, right. This is what you were talking about. Yep. It made sense. Yep. All right. So, um, what was I saying? Yeah. So they're conti- they're having this conversation about how Atreyu didn't really fail. He brought the child. He brought the Earthling child with him. And Bastion's like, no, they can't. They can't be talking about me. This is bullshit. They can't be talking about me. And then basically, a child like child like Empress is just like, bitch. I'm talking about you. Bastion, come on. Give me a name. Focus. Like, okay, focus up. I'm over here. Over here. Jangly keys. Jangly keys. Look at me. Bastion, I need a name. Come on, I need a name. And he just, and he's just flipping out. His father's like, uh, you know, you need to keep, you can't have your head in the clouds. You need to keep your feet on the ground. And he's like, but I have to, I have to. And she's like, come on. <laughs> Jeez. And then like the, like the half the, half the uh, tower is cracking in half. Atreyu falls over dead. At this point, it's like that, like she's all that's left, and she's begging him, and he's like, "All right, all right, fine." And outside, it's it's, it's storming. It's a huge thunderstorm at this point. The windows are blasting open. There's wind everywhere. It's night. It's, night. it's nighttime. He's been there the whole day reading this book. Now, and that's the most unbelievable thing to me. Now, I get that I'm not the fastest reader in the world, but a book that size in a day, uh, uh-uh. uh. I can do it. Because yeah, you're a mutant. Okay? <laughs> I read very fast. I'm yeah. a very, very fast reader, so he gets very annoyed with me. Yeah, you're a mutant. <laughs> That's why I listen to my books. Because, yeah. like, I... Yeah, trying to, trying to focus and read a book, it's a fun activity, but my brain ends up just kind of, like, wandering off, and I'm reading the same page for, like, ten minutes. Like, I have absorbed zero percent of this. <sighs> Fuck. Like I need to put on like a like a audiobook and do something else so I can focus on the book while I do something mindless with the rest of me. I can remember everything that I read. Except, except for the names. names. <laughs> you ask me what the main character does, you ask me what color hair they are what have they ha- uh hair they have, what color t shirt they were wearing. I could tell you all of it. Ask me their name. Boom. <laughs> So, um, I really yes. am. I am. I'm very, very attention to detail sort of person. So, so he screams moon child or yelling, depending <laughs> into, into the storm and the, and the scene goes black. No more sound, no more nothing. And then all we see is just a little pinprick of light. And you see just kind of the, the light fades up and it's the childlike empress or moon child now. Holding the last intact piece of Fantasia. And it is a single grain of sand. Basically, it's her saying, you took your sweet time, boy. (laughs) 
this is all that's left. Get wishing and fix it. I also want to point out that, uh, which basically kind of just occurred to me. Yeah. Um, Bastion had the Orin the entire time. Mm-hmm. Because the Orin yeah. is on the book. So he had the Orin with him the entire time he was reading the book. And that's how he gets it in the second yeah. movie. He actually scoops it out of the cover of the book. Yep. He's had the Orin the whole time. Yes, mm -hmm. the Orin plays a major part of connecting him with this world. So before we get too far ahead, I have a question. Sure, go mm -hmm. for it. If you could have chosen a different name besides what would you guys have picked? I can tell you, right off the top of my head, I would have called her Serenity because when I looked at it, I felt that the first word that came to mind, I would have said Serenity! Hello, Internet. I honestly don't know because I've never really thought about it. Yeah, same. I mean, I can I can see Serenity. That may, that that works. But I mean, she's Moonchild. It's just Empress Miss Mick Empressy face. Or Empress Becky. She uh, no, she's too pretty for Becky. <laughs> you telling me Aunt Becky wasn't wasn't gorgeous? Uh, this girl beats her by like a thousand in my All book. Right, fair. This that girl who played her, she was a kid, but I remember being a little kid and thinking to myself, "Oh my God, she's beautiful." Mm -hmm. And I, I, I looked her up on IMDb the other night, and she she's is still beautiful. she is still gorgeous. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tammy Stronach, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Jealous. Yeah, they yeah, they're they're older than me, so yeah. I haven't seen like a like a modern modern day. I haven't seen like a recent photo of Noah Hathaway. Okay, he doesn't look like a girl anymore. Well no. When I was a kid too, when Andrade. I first okay, okay. When I was a kid, uh and like you said, I saw this movie, I was very young. I want to say I was probably six or seven. I mean, it came out when we were um, two. I know. So I was probably yeah, around six or seven when I watched it, and I used to watch it a lot. Um, I had a next-door neighbor who was four years older than me, um, and she used to come over and she used to play with me, and we played Barbies and stuff like that, and we watched movies, and we watched The NeverEnding Story together, and she had the biggest crush on Atreyu. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why, because I thought Atreyu was a girl. <laughs> I Thank you. I thought Atreyu was a girl for the longest time. And then when I realized he was a boy, it really kind of screwed with my, like, inner working a little bit. Not in a bad way, but in a, I, as an adult, understand what androgyny is. And to me... He was basically androgynous because he looked, to me, he looked, had more feminine-esque features. Mm -hmm. He was a very pretty yeah. boy. So, yeah. So on, on the same note, why couldn't Atreyu have been a girl? He could have been, but, you know, we're like, going... Why does Link always have to be a boy? But we're going with old school, yeah. standard, the warrior is going to be male, the yeah. empress obviously is going to be female. 
we're, we're not swip, we're not swapping these things just yet. Um, and it's a traditional kind of it's very tradition esque fairy tale. There's no romance in it because we're dealing more with children. But and it's, and it's a German thing. And it's so a German it's, everything's thing. Everything's going to be is like no, we have we have decided gender norms. <laughs> not quite, not not quite so much anymore. They they're way more accepting now. But like at the time, it was like no. This is how this works. This is how this works. <laughs> so yeah, but show me up your papers. <laughs> so there you go. Right. So I I don't really have a name for her. No. Yeah, because. Yeah, I've never really thought about what a better name would be. And knowing me, I just... Okay, that does not look at all like Atreyu anymore. Okay, <laughs> fair. So she's just showing me a picture of what he looks like today. It's like, yep, yeah, okay. Nope, he no longer looks effeminate. Yep. And perhaps it's in play the fact that when they were uh, gathered at the start uh, of the film at the, uh, the Ivory Palace and we uh, see uh, a Moses Lee... Uh, Played the uh, one of the, uh, the overseers uh, looking for a tree. When a tree, like I'm a tree, and everyone's like, you, you, what? You, you're a tree? It's like you're, uh, you're, uh, you're, 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 it's like oh, okay, that's a tree. So even for me as uh, watching, like that's a tree, right? Because you're expecting an adult, somebody. If you even fast forward a bit, we see the the image of a stone. It's that of to my, my impression, my opinion, it was male. Uh, I didn't see anything feminine or features. It was like, it was a tree. It was intended to be a strong male. Mm-hmm. And he has, like, a... A kid. A feminine child. That's not a bad thing. No, it's 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just in support of Trey. I'm like, I'm uh, behind him. He's the leading one on this quest. At the time, it was like, wow, this is a kid. It's like, I have to support uh, this really young dude on this journey and hope that he doesn't die because he, he looks too young. It's like, he's really that strong. I mean, it, it, so it's really, for me, I mean, it was believable that, that this guy was a Trey. It was. Would I necessarily believe that? He was, uh, what I had in mind for him, absolutely not. I never would have anticipated that he would have gone out with such a young kid. But again, this is what my boy in the writing of the book set out. I think it was leading some type of intention to have Trey and Trey supposed to be painted green. Noah Hathaway commented, he looked like he was a type of apology or fun guy. Yeah. Yeah, the Plains people were green-skinned in the original book. Yeah. Yes. And there was actually, actually a point in the film, film um, actually right around the scene we're talking about, there, there, there's, there's a shot where you briefly see his left, uh, his left, uh, I want to say something between his, his tricep and uh, forearm, and there's some type of green, I don't know if it was a wrapping of some kind, or it was actually painted, but there was something green. Uh, oh, oh, you're... When he was at uh, Professor Engelwuk's, uh, that it was like a leaf that was wrapped around his arm as a bandage. It's a bandage, yeah. It's like it's like Elven first aid. It's like they just wrap leaves around you. <laughs> so yeah, at the very end, it's only Bastion and the childlike Empress that are left, and she explains that this little piece of sand, this little single grain, is all that's left, and. 
to bring Fantasia back, we, you, we need the imagination and the wishes of a child. And guess what you are, Bastion? And you've got the Auron. What's your first wish? Start fixing this. And his first wish is... He, he doesn't actually say it. You just see him flying on Falcor, just going, Yeah! Yeah! Just like I would be. Whether I was 10 years old, or whether I'm 37 years old. I'd be like, Fuck it, A, Falcor! Yeah! And he, yeah, and he gets... Yeah! And he just... And, you know... Basically, his wish is uh, to make Fantasia like the nothing never was. And that means all the lands are back, the plains are back, uh, all the lands of the Rockbiter in the north are back, the, the little man and his racing snail, the Nighthob, the stupid bat, Artax, every, everyone's back, everything's fixed. Because he didn't let, he didn't let his imagination die. I mean, kind of, yeah. I don't know. Although, I think everyone still remembered the nothing. But it was put back to where it was before. So it's like... Everybody ended up back where they were supposed to be. Or where they where they maybe last left off. Because Atreyu knew who Falcor was. But Atreyu knew who both of them were. Yes. So... So, yeah. So they... Everybody kind of remembered what happened. And it gives them a bit more of a... Uh, Appreciation, because you you feel that in the second movie, mm -hmm. um, you feel that they have more of appreciation for for what they have, and which is why they're so freaked out in the second movie when the emptiness is starting to do its thing again because they're seeing the nothing happen again, just in a different way. Yep. Rockbiter also has a child in the second one, Ugh. very much like Godzilla. The Rockbiter has a child, and it's just as goofy and dumb. <sighs> I would like to point out, because I feel like the rest of the movie should start right now. Yes. One of the things that did fascinate me about this movie, just talking about these guys, it felt very relevant to something that seemed to be a modern model of the movie, where we have what's called the last two films, the Endgame and the Infinity War, where we see the characters are snapped away, they turn into green sands, they turn into are dusted off. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're up in mind after the, uh, the Infinity War film, these characters are dead. And this was the intent of the directors and probably uh, the entire of the film crew they wanted us to leave and die. And here we are, we can, if you guys uh, watch the sequel, well, here they are magically reappearing, and while time has seemingly passed, they, they are still uh, uh, where they were before this whole event occurred. So, so I'm, I'm seeing, seeing a, a mild uh, relation of some kind where this idea of like, like uh, these characters in the film uh, going back to uh, the living story, they, if, if, if that is the case, then they were sort of um, snapped back, I guess you should say, from whatever it was. So, I mean, yeah. Bastion was able to uh, wish them back, but it's like the, the concept of the snap. They returned to their, their original state of form before they were removed uh, uh, during the, the event of the event. I mean, yeah, I mean, essentially, it's the same kind of idea. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. They just got, the, they, they undid the snap. Yeah. You know, I am a Treyu. Snap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, basically, Bastion's next wish 
is to get back at the bullies that were screwing with him at the beginning of the movie. And he yeah. brings Falcor into the real world, specifically to Vancouver, and <laughs> uh, chases these bullies down the middle of a street in midday. And all the people around are freaking out. It's a monster! Ah! And he chases the kids, and the kids jump into the same dumpster they dumped him into before. And he flies away like, yeah, take that, you bastards! Essentially. Yeah. And then movie ends. Yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't actually end, although it is an ending. Um, the narrator explains to us that it didn't continue on. It was more adventurous, but that was for another story. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, considering they stopped at the halfway point of the book, a little bit, yeah. yeah. But, but knowing, knowing what it is, I mean, it's, it's a little easier. easier. Mm-hmm. So, so, with that, guys, that, that, that would, uh, is the uh, conclusion uh, of the film. Uh, we got like to we got dice. Actually, I got dice. Start off, Nick. Go for it. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Why would you say Jimmy Stewart? I'm just curious. Uh, a lot of these I picked wouldn't change the movie so much, but it should be really cool. Okay. Alright, I can dig it. Alright, let's see what the dicks say. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. The dice do not agree. That's an 11. Shit. <laughs> okay. okay. I have one. Go for it. Go ahead. I have a bunch, but. Uh, keep coming back to me. Alright, this is mine. Ready for it? Yep. Wilfred Wilfred Ridley. Ridley. Mm-hmm. I want, I want Wilfred Ridley's code. I want to touch the guy's name. Okay. <laughs> I really don't think much would change. <laughs> the dice left that, though. <laughs> this is a 34. <laughs> Alright. Go for it, Nick. Alright. For Bastion. Mm-hmm. Danny Torres from The Shining. Oh jeez, that's it's not far off. No. It's not far off at all. I have the idea that it's a Torres. Uh it's a sixteen. Oh, <laughs> okay. Keep going. Okay. okay. Uh, Easy walk. Doris Roberts and Peter Boyle. <laughs> okay. Yep. Ooh, that would be fun. That's a 21. <laughs> so Peter Boyle, who always destroyed the monster in Dan's first episode of Young Frankenstein. Yep. This is kind of too, like, he has to be! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. awesome. And it's Earl with George Roberts. But a little bit of George Roberts and Grandma's voice. <laughs> she's, she's very good 
at playing like the old kind of crotchety lady anyway. Yeah. And there's a lot yeah, of snark in her, so yeah, yeah I could definitely fun. see that. So, so for the, the entrance, Ellen Page. Really? Okay. I uh. Well, okay. Because you asked what I what name would I give her? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I said, said Judo. Judo. <laughs> okay. And Ellen Page has a very face. She does. She does. I've been a fan of hers for a while. And I get to see her do a very, very small role. But Juno is also pretty European understood in his youth. Juno is also the um the Roman uh version of Hera. Hera, yeah. The uh the the uh, the wife of um Zeus. The eternally frustrated oh, wife of Zeus. Yeah. That's uh, her her Roman version is Juno. In the movie though, wasn't it didn't they just name her after the capital of Alaska or something? And she just said that people think it's named after the goddess. To be fair, I've never watched the movie, so I don't know. Oh, I've only seen the movie yeah. once. It's been a while. But yeah, that is the possibility of her yeah, definitely. Okay. So yeah. That's a 28. That'll, yeah, sweet. Yep. I had an alternative. Okay. Don't roll for this, but Danny DeVito. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm the child I'm like the child I'm like Emperor. I'm the greatest fan. <laughs> this nice well, egg is the only pot. trying time. This nice egg is the only pot of Fantasia left. <laughs> Go ahead, give me a name. <laughs> no, not that one. That one sucks. I think you need Cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> now, all right, okay. All right. Okay. So the last one for Falcor, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I okay. No, man. I love Dragon Ball. Uh, that is a nineteen. Ah, so close. Wow. Yeah. All right, Bob. What you got? Mine, I was thinking, and this was uh, this was partly me, and then actually hearing uh, Nathan brought it up, and it made me. Uh, I was just I was trying to find the right character for him, and I feel the most appropriate would be uh, Rockfire. So for Rockfire, I'd like to replace uh, the actor who does it with Seth Rogen. Oh God. Oh my God. Well, he's definitely stoned. Oh, that was get out. <laughs> Oh, we know who Seth Rogen is. <laughs> oh, okay. Seth Rogen, um, yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. Knocked up. Um, Zach and Mary, Zach make, and a Mary make a porno. That was funny. Good movie. You should see it. Um, um, uh, the, uh, this is the end. This is the end. Yeah. But, okay. So, uh, Rockbiter as the ultimate stoner himself. Okay. Let's see what we get. Uh, it's a 21. I was about to say, I was about to say, watch that be a, watch that be a 40 or some shit. <laughs> Alright, what else we got? Any others, Bob? Uh, I, 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 I,
assume with that he's either Vader or Mufasa. Yep. <laughs> um, I had one actually um, for for the voice. Um, thinking more uh, on Falcor's end, I was thinking more like maybe Frank Oz. Because Frank yeah. Oz, Frank mm -hmm. Oz can, can he's kind of got like one of those elastic voices. Well, yeah, isn't he... Uh... Uh, He's, he's, he's Miss Piggy. He's Miss Piggy, and he's also Gonzo. Yeah. Gonzo. Yep. Yep. So yeah. I was thinking, yeah, because his his voice, while still iconic, um, could, you know, change up enough to be interesting. I think. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just picturing Falcor talking like Doctor Teeth. That's also a fifteen. So no, the, the dice don't like these. Yeah. Now see. I've been trying to think, like, for the last few days, I've been trying to think of a fantasy casting. And in all honesty, this movie is so much a part of my childhood and is as important to me as it is. I don't have any. Like, uh, Eddie Murphy is Falcor. That'd be funny. Oh, that would be funny. That'd be funny. That would be funny. Let's get back. Let's do it. I'm a luck dragon. Well, the dice really like that. That's, that's a, a 37. That's a 37, Kaz. Wow. Damn. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your horse. <laughs> it's like, dishonor on your horse? Oh, wait, he sank. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoops. I'm thinking. I've been trying hmm. to think, like, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to um think of like a kid, honestly. One of the Corys. No. <laughs> no. I'm just trying to think of the eighties. No. Josh Brolin. No, it would be, uh, it would be more like Sean Astin. Sean Astin, yes. <laughs> Goonies never die. Sean Connery. <laughs> no. Um, he pulled off a Spaniard somehow. I, I, I kind of wanted, wanted to be like a kid... Or a person who would kind of be like the last person you'd think of, because that's kind of what the Atreyu character is. Yeah. He's supposed to portray a character who's more a fighting spirit than fighting like body type. Kind of the uh, the pre pre serum Steve Rogers. Yeah. I could do this all day. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's that's how I kind of view the character. So I, I don't want I, I wouldn't put like Chris Hemsworth in there, for example. No. Possibly Liam Hemsworth. And yeah, Liam is is about as big as Chris now. Uh, so all right, we need to find a lesser Hemsworth. What? That is a person that okay, I can take that. Justin Long. We'll both we'll do both of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Brandon St. Randy. So, uh, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I could, I could dig that. Okay, let's see. The dice don't think so. The dice don't like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Let's... He's give, a 13. Yeah. Uh, give, uh, give Justin Long a try. Let's just Long. see. Well, uh, With that voice. Justin Long, no. Justin Long from, like, Galaxy Quest. Justin Long. Okay, yep. But, Mom, you don't understand. It's a very important mission. The dice like Justin Long, though. That's a 29. Mm-hmm. Actually, Gal- oh, Galaxy Quest we gotta watch on this show at some Ooh, point. Oh, Galaxy Quest. That's such a fun movie. movie. Um, I don't know. Yeah, let's throw Heath Ledger in there. Fuck it. He's he does he's he's a rubber band actor. Yeah, Heath Ledger as a trainer. Yeah. Let's see. That's a twenty-one. That I mean that just about does it. Anybody else? One, one, one more, more just, just to be weird. weird. Sure. Oh. As a trio? <laughs> oh my god. Okay. A Falco. No. <laughs> where, where are you, Falco? <laughs> That's an eight. Yeah. Mola. 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 I've lost the Orin. Oh, oh, I have another one for Falcor. I have one for Falcor. Huh? You want least expected for Well, no, well, yeah, go for least expected, definitely. With Urkel. Oh, oh god. my god. Oh, okay, no. Jaleel. Nope, I'm done. Thank you. Urkel, specifically. Did I do that? Oh. <laughs> the dice like it. It's a 22. What about Stefan Urkel? It's Dan wants, Dan wants Stefan Urkel. Let's see, if, let's see if Stefan Urkel gets in there. Uh, Stefan <laughs> Urkel is better! It's a 27! Wow. <laughs> that changes things. Uh, we, are, we are stomping all over my childhood movie. <laughs> but, no, I, I have a voice. I have a voice for Falcor. Joe Pesci. Wow. He's allergic to you. Joe Pesci would be hysterical. Uh, the Dice Life Joe Pesci, that's his 25. This movie got real weird. This movie is getting very strange. <laughs> okay, so what would you. Oh, God. Oh, God. Who would you put for the childlike empress? Joe Pesci. Because <laughs> I got one. 
I got one. If we're being really weird, I got one. Alright. Pamela Anderson. Jesus. <laughs> it's gonna be some weird dreams tonight, Pamela. <laughs> We're going strange. Well, you can you can replace looking at her eyes with looking at her tits. Oh, wait, eyes are up. Ah, you know what? Forget it. And no. No, they the oracle. She could be the seven oracle though. Ah! All right, I'll re-roll that for the seven oracle. The dice liker is the seven oracle. That's a thirty-one. I mean, if the bra fits, I mean, the shoe fits. There's Botox. I'm so scared, but I can't express it. No. Yeah, she's kind of looking like a catcher's mitt. A little like Jenna Jameson. Exactly. Yeah. 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 This light's been blinking for a while. How long has it been here? Hold on a sec. Looks like... Looks like a tape. Since when did we get an answering machine? Since when did we get a landline? Hmm. Um, we're... No? But it... Wait, let me... Let me check this cord. Hold on. The cord goes into the other. What is what is going on here? Huh. The cord is attached to the other room. Uh. Hold on, let's play this tape. There comes a time when it's a machine. You have experienced soft talk. You need really. So apparently we got we got a little bit of leeway for next week. So yeah, it's got a bit of time travel in it, right? 
to have some fun going back in time to the uh, the 20s and revisiting a lot of classic uh, characters that are not really uh, often spoken of now, but that film really uh, made you value uh, their art and what they did for their time. Wonderful. Okay, sounds good. All right, folks, we'll see you next week. So as always, be good, take care of yourself. We're going to be shooting.